Very close. Just probably one more week after this and we'll be done with Revelation, if you can imagine. I think I'll cry. But I've decided we're going to go to Romans after that, so that's kind of uplifting for me. I don't know about you, but... So we will be going to, to, to Romans after we finish up Revelation. Now, we started in chapter 22 last week, and we were studying about the celestial city, the New Jerusalem that had come down uh, from heaven and how it was adorned with all of these jewels and about the wall and about the gates and how big it was and, and all of those things. And remembering all the time, understanding that John is writing down here in human language a description of the things that he has seen and understanding that at the same time, human language is always limiting. There's probably not a single word in the human language or in the English language that that we can get absolute and total fullness of understanding about. But these things to come... Like we said last week, we're so in, we're inadequate. I'm inadequate as that can be to even try to describe this stuff to us. It's beyond anything that we can possibly even begin to imagine. In its greatness, in its goodness, in its fullness, in its deepness. Chapter 22. Showed me a river of the water of life, clear as crystal, coming from the throne of God and of the Lamb. And in the middle of its street, and on either side of the river, was the tree of life, bearing twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And there shall no longer be any curse, and the throne of God. And of the lamb shall and the lamb shall be in it, and his bondservants shall serve him, and they shall see his face, and his name shall be on their foreheads, and there shall no longer be any night, and they shall not have need of the light of a lamp, nor the light of the sun, because the Lord God shall illumine them, and they shall reign forever and ever. And he said to me, These words are faithful and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, sent his angel to show to his bondservants the things which must shortly take place. The end of the visions. At that point. The only thing left in the book is the epilogue. Which we will go to. In two weeks. He showed me. We've seen that how many times. In the book of Revelation. Just remembering that that Jesus is not just telling John these things. He's showing these things to him. The river of life. John Milton, in the early 1600s, one of the Puritan writers, was uh, probably the premier of the Puritan poets. He wrote a poem called Paradise Lost. 
10,500 lines of poetry. It has to do with the fall of man and his rejection from the garden or ejection from the garden of Eden. The neat thing about it is in 1671, he published a sequel to it. So that wasn't the end of it. It was all about man's fall into sin. Those 10,500 lines of poetry. Sixteen seventy one he wrote the sequel called Paradise Regained. To understand that that's what the Bible is about. It starts with the end of paradise or the law the loss of paradise right in chapter three in Genesis. And it ends with the regaining of paradise, the reestablishment of paradise on earth even to a greater measure, to a greater extent. The earth in its entirety will be new. Water is so essential to life. It also carries with it the idea of cleanliness, of cleaning, of washing. There was a river in Eden that flowed out of the garden. Water is, is one of those things that with, without it, there could not be any living things on earth. You have to have it. Mostly what we're made of is water. Most of what every living thing is made of is water. It's, it's, there's more water than anything else. We have these astronomers with their, their fancy telescopes are looking out in the cosmos and they're looking desperately they're trying to find a planet where life might possibly exist they haven't found it yet let me tell you something they haven't plant found a planet that comes anywhere close to being like the earth anywhere but one of the things they're looking for is water because they know that without water they can't there cannot be life so does it surprise us that there is a river of life throwing through, flowing through this celestial city? Will we be drinking water from it on a regular basis? Who knows? We know there's something about running water, too, that just really delights us. You know, that uh, we're going to the mountains next week, and I just love the, the mountain creeks where you just hear the water flowing across the rocks, and it's so soothing and, uh, and, and, and that sort of thing, and... There's that connotation that we have associated with water as well. That this isn't just any water. This is water that's coming from the throne of God and of the Lamb. So remind us of the, the, the closing chapters of the book of Ezekiel where he describes this temple that is going to be built. And it ends on the note that there is water running from the temple and, the, the, and it becomes more and more water as it goes and becomes eventually a river that's too deep for him to cross. I would say that this is a fulfillment of that vision in the book of Ezekiel. Not that there's going to be a temple in the celestial city. Because we're told that there is no temple 
in it. For the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb are its temple. But where is this water coming from? It's flowing from the throne of God. Not only do we find water there, but in the, in the middle of the street and on either side of the river, can you imagine a river flowing down the middle of a street? There's a street on both sides of it. The main street in the New Jerusalem. On either side of the river is the tree of life. Let me just jump back into the book of Genesis and read a little bit this morning. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made earth and heaven. Now no shrub of the field was yet on the earth and no plants of the field uh, had yet sprouted for the Lord God had not sent rain upon the earth and there was no man to cultivate the ground. But a mist used to rise up from the earth and water the whole surface of the ground. Then the Lord God formed Man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living being. And the Lord God planted a garden toward the east in Eden. And there he placed the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God caused to grow every tree that is pleasing to the sight and good for food. The tree of life also in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now a river flowed out of Eden to water the garden, and from there it divided and became four rivers. Verse 15 in chapter 2. The Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to cultivate it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, From any tree of the garden you may eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. From the day that you eat from it you shall surely die. Then the Lord God said, It is not good for a man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. And out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the sky and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called a living creature, that was its name. And the man gave names to all the cattle and to the birds of the sky and every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper suitable for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept. And then he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in that place. And the Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. And the man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. For this cause shall uh, a man shall leave his father and his mother and shall cleave to his wife, and they shall become one flesh And the man and his wife were both naked and not ashamed. You see all of this? That this is a reestablishment of what God intended from the very beginning for us. The tree of life. Will we be eating from the tree of life? Well, I would imagine that there are certainly some senses in which the life in the, in, 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 in the New Jerusalem will be very different than the life that we, as we know it now. But I would imagine there's going to be a lot of common things too. Will we still drink water? Probably. Will we still eat? I would imagine. 
But notice here that even though we, our way had been blocked to that tree of life because of the sin that fell upon us, that it is no longer away from us. It is right there in our midst. Life. Life to the full. Life to the fullest measure. There's 12 different kinds of fruit. Now, how many trees have you ever seen in your lifetime that bore more than one type of fruit? And we understand this. What is the whole purpose that, that plants and trees produce fruit to start with? Because they love us. Apples make apple trees because they just love people and they want to help feed us. Banana trees make bananas because we know that Donna Morris likes bananas, maybe. No. They were produced for a purpose, and the purpose is to reproduce. Make apples to make more apple trees. Make bananas to make more banana trees. This tree yields 12 different kinds of fruit, a different one it seems like every month. Can you imagine a tree that has apples on it in January and then pears on it in February and bananas on it in March? Sounds kind of weird, doesn't it? <laughs> it's hard to imagine that. Some of the some of the fruit lovers here would just love it to death, I would imagine. <laughs> Leaves that have the ability to heal the nations. Does that mean we're going to be eating leaves off the trees? Who knows? I'm not even going to go there. No longer any curse. Now let me read something else to you from the, the, from the book of Genesis. This is after... Adam and Eve have eaten the forbidden fruit. First of all, God cursed the serpent. Then in verse 17, he speaks to Adam. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree about which I commanded you, saying you shall not eat from it, cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you, you shall eat of it all the days of your life, both thorns and thistles. It shall grow for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, because from it you were taken. For you are dust, and to dust you shall return. That's the curse. Death. That curse will be gone forevermore in the eternal kingdom. None of us likes to think about death. None of us likes to talk about death. All of us have grieved over people that we've lost. All of us wonder at what time our time is going to come. Is it going to be soon? Is it going to be a long time from now? Is it going to be painful? Is it going to be pain-free? 
still part of where we are, of our reality, where we are today. We have to deal with it all the time. And it's nothing that any of us relishes dealing with. We have grieved, our heart is grieved over, over death in a way that it's not grieved over anything else. And it's true for everyone in this room. Can you imagine when we won't have to deal with it ever again, ever again, in any way, shape, or form? The throne of God will be there in the midst. Throne of God and the throne of the Lamb. And we shall serve Him. Now, what exactly does that mean? What are we going to be doing? I don't have a clue. But I know that it's not going to be the same kind of service that we do here in this world. I mean, sometimes we serve because we really like it. We love it. There's some people, I, some of the ladies in this room that are so hospitable, they love to have people in their house and, uh, you know, and, and, and that sort of thing. But serving very often in this world is, is like a drudgery. Now, how many times have you thought, I've got to do that. I don't want to do that. I want to do something else. You look at your day. What does your day look like? Well, I've got to do this, I've got to do that, and so on and so on and so on. Very often it's serving things. Not just serving people, but serving other things. There's a drudgery that comes with our serving now. There will not be any drudgery then. We will serve with a right heart. We will love to do what we do to the utmost. We would want to do nothing less. We would want to do nothing more. They shall see his face. We were talking last week about the beatific vision, right? The first chance that we get to see Jesus. How are we going to respond to it? Have any? Have you seen the book or seen the movie? I can only imagine. You've heard that song on the radio, and maybe you sing it a little bit yourself. There's a good bit of it. It has to do with the beatific vision. Does it say that in the song? Then let me just read a little bit of it for you this morning. Surrounded by your glory, what will my heart feel? Will I dance for you, Jesus, or in awe of you be still? Will I stand in your presence? Or to your knee, my knees will I fall. Will I sing hallelujah? Will I be able to speak at all? I can only imagine. As we said last week, that's going to be the moment when it finally hits us fully and completely. And that is that it is all true. 
Doubt will flee from us forevermore. We will never doubt any of it again. Not one promise that God has ever made. No longer be any night. There will be no need for the sun. There will be no need for the moon. There will be no need for lamps. There will be no need for lights. There will no be need for candles. Because the glory of God will fill his new creation. In the Old Testament is described as the Shekinah glory, this brilliant, bright light that is emitted by God. It will fill the heavens and the earth. Can you imagine not having to turn on a light switch or to turn one off? Light the candles. Are we doing any of that? There will be a light everywhere you go. Now, some of you know me. You know that I kind of like dark. When I get up in the morning, the light, if you want to irritate me, turn on a light. I don't like bright lights early in the morning. As a matter of fact, I abhor bright lights early in the morning. It's not unusual for me to get up and have taken a shower before I even turn a light on. And I think it just has to do with the fact that I don't know if some of you have lighter eyes, and I think the pigments in your eyes make you more sensitive to bright lights. People that are dark brown eyes, you just don't understand it. I'm married to a lady who's got brown eyes, and she likes to have lights on. But there will come a time when when Keith will absolutely hate the darkness and love the light. They shall reign forever. Do you ever think of yourself as royalty? Probably not. But the Bible declares that you, in fact, are. How could that be? It could be because you are a son and daughter of the king. You're the royal ones. They're the sons and the daughter. They're the king and the queen, and they're the children. We are they. We will reign. Now, what does that mean? What does that encompass? I don't know. But we will be doing it. Forever. And ever. And the other side of that ever. And beyond that ever. unending and we will never get tired of it you get bored I get bored real easy there aren't too many Saturdays I spend sitting around doing nothing but watching TV or football games I can do that for a while and I do that for a while but I like my projects I stay busy doing this and doing that.
we will be busy in the new heavens and the new earth. And we will delight absolutely in everything that we do. End of the visions. I'm sad. If nothing else, we've tried to bring to bear the idea that the book is full of symbols and some of those symbols and signs, we know what some of them are and some of them we simply don't. We know that absolutely everything in the book will be fulfilled at one point or another. We know that this has had everything to do with all these visions that the the Apostle John were given by Jesus to write down in a book so that they would be recorded so that you and I can study them now. 2,000 years ago. These words are faithful and true. Everything that has been written down, these words that are before us today are faithful and true. Why? Because they are the words of God. Because not man has said them. Not man has fabricated them. God has spoken them forth. And God always does what God says he will do. I'm coming quickly. Blessed is he who heeds the words of the prophecy of this book. I'm coming soon. It's been 2,000 years. People in every generation, there were people who would have given their life in every generation for the church, believing that it was in their day that Jesus was coming back because the signs were there. You hear it all the time, right? If you have your ears open to the evangelical world out there around you, you hear it all the time. Jesus says he's coming quickly. Would you say 2,000 years registers as quick? Not on our time scale. (laughs) 2,000 years is a very long time. People today struggle with this. Because even in the Olivet Discourse, Jesus gives everybody the idea that he's coming back very soon. People in the days of the apostles were struggling with this very issue. Things don't seem to be lining up here. Jesus said he was coming quickly. Fifty years ago, and by and he hasn't come yet. What's going on? Is he not coming back? Was he lying? Was he kidding us? The apostle Peter had to deal with these very issues in the early church. And what he challenges people to do is this, is to stop thinking on the scale of time as we know it. We are no longer on the time scale of man. We are on the time scale of God. And that time scale is eternity. 
It has no beginning and it has no end. If you consider just how long we know that the earth and, 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 and man has been here on the earth, at least 10,000 years about, at the very minimum, many people believe a lot longer. Two thousand years is just a fraction of it. But this is what Peter said to those people. You know, he concluded that Jesus is very slow about doing what he promised to the point that maybe he wasn't being truthful, that he's really not coming. Do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any of you to perish, but for all to come to repentance. The day of the Lord will come like a thief, in which the heavens will pass away with a roar and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat and the earth and its works will be burned up. Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, on account of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements will melt with intense heat. But according to his promise, we are looking for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Jesus said that he is going to come, which means what? That he will come. Jesus does not lie. Jesus will come when he determines it's time for him to come. Not when people determine that it's time for him to come. And one of the things I would say to you this morning is this. It's what is he waiting for? Well, there's some evidence of what he's waiting for in the book of Revelation. And one of those is this, is that all the martyrs are not given their life yet. We don't like to hear that. But at the same time, we know this. That those whose names are written in that Lamb's book of life that is mentioned so many times in this book of Revelation, those names were written there at the very beginning of time. And let me tell you something. Jesus is not going to come until the last of those is born. He is gathering all of his elect from every single age. And that is the past and the present and what will be the future. He will not come until all of his people have been gathered. Would we want him to do anything less? No. So how are we supposed to live every day? Well, one of the things that we always need to keep in mind is this. 
Today could be that day. Maybe it may be the best thing for every one of us when we wake up every morning for the first thought to go through our mind. Today could be the day. Do you think if we did that, that our day might be a little bit different than it's going to be otherwise? If we knew that the coming of Christ really was imminent, that he was going to appear on earth that very day. And the way it's described in Scripture, we need to understand this, that it's not that he's just going to appear to the church. He's going to appear to everybody. People that believe in this pre-trib rapture, they believe that there's this secret coming of Jesus that the Bible never talks about at all. You need to understand that. That every time Jesus comes in the Bible, it's with trumpet sounds and, 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 and loud praises and this sort of thing. When he comes, there is no one on this planet... And when he comes, everyone will be resurrected, whether they are believing or unbelieving. Their bodies will be resurrected. There will be unbelieving people in this world, and there will be believing people living in this world at the time of the second coming of Christ. But there won't be a single person on that day who doubts for one minute that anything less than God Almighty has descended upon this earth. The crazy thing about it is even that will be not enough to cause some people to repent. The people of God will flock to him. The unbelieving will run from him and try to hide from him. To the point they will plead that the rocks and the mountains would fall in on them and cover them up to get away from his gaze. Blessed is he who heeds the words of the prophecy of this book. Are we heeding these words? Are we living every day as if it could be that day? That's the challenge. There's all kinds of things in this world that will keep us from it. All kinds of worries, all kinds of this, all kinds of busyness, all kinds of that. All sorts of things that serve a purpose. And very often it's the purposes of the evil one. Is that is to keep our focus and our attention off of Jesus. He's everything. Everything today and tomorrow. Keep your eyes on him. Your life will be very different if you do.
and you'll have a taste of what life to come is really like. But just a taste. And that taste will make you long for it. Desire it above everything else. And it will transform the manner in which you live your life. For him.